Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 128 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and if there was one person I'd want to be the cockroach to my Wally for 700 years, it's the man with me now, my best friend and my co-host, Patrick. <laughs> nice. Hey, everyone. This is week four and our final episode in what has been a thoroughly awesome sci-fi September, at least for us. So we hope that you have enjoyed it as well. To finish things off, we decided to cover this 2008 Pixar animated gem, which, by the way, Patrick, I've realized, in general, we need to cover more of these Pixar films because this was a lot of fun. Yeah. But this is a movie that definitely hits on the feeling aspect of our show, and it was a good chance for both you and I to revisit it for the first time in almost 10 years. Uh, we are going to skip over a what we've been up to section this week. I will say super duper fast that I saw The House with a Clock on Its Walls, I think is the long title of that film, at some point last week, and I literally had forgotten that I saw it by two days later, so there's my review. Take that as you will. Uh, also, quick reminder, listeners, that uh, the next solo episode of the By Request podcast that I'm doing it is out. Uh, I'm covering Frozen via listener vote, of course. That was an interesting conversation that I had with myself. Some Some really surprising thoughts came to mind, so go check out that feed, the By Request, download it, subscribe. Let me know what you think. And then a quick note, Patrick, you weren't able to be there for this, but this past weekend, uh, Saturday night, I was able to host a feeling film movie night using a website online called Rabbit that we used about a year ago or so. We haven't done it in forever. And there were about 10 to 15 people uh, at one or another point in the night that were all in this room chatting and watching Wally together. So I got to watch this movie with a whole bunch of our listeners, and that was a really cool experience. So cool that everyone kept telling me they wanted me to do more and more. So we're going to do one next week too. And if you're interested in that listeners, if you're hearing this uh, on release week of the Wally episode, then come join our amazing feeling film Facebook group, because that's where this info all lives. That's where the invites go out. That's where the links are. And uh, yeah, come be a part of whatever the next movie is for next weekend that gets chosen. Hopefully you'll be able to make one of these Patrick, because I think people would enjoy that. At the very least, we can probably set one up when I'm in town. Maybe we can do a rabbit, and that way we engage that way for sure. I like it. We should definitely do that. And right now, the poll that's up there has Sing Street tied or almost tied at the top. So You know what? If yikes. Sing Street wins, I will make it a point to make the rabbit. Just saying it right now. I almost feel like we should do Alice in Wonderland, you know, just because, like, we're doing rabbit. Oh, never mind. Now I'm getting too meta. All right. <laughs> Let's get into Wally. Sci-Fi September, spoiler alert, listeners, if you've been listening to this show at all, you know that we talk about these things in depth. If you're new here, we talk about these things in depth, so please go see this film. If for no other reason than this film absolutely needs you to see it, it deserves your attention. But beyond that, we are going to dive into the themes and the emotions of this film, and we want you to have already experienced those for yourself uh, before you hear our conversation about them. And with that, Patrick, let's Take it away. Why don't you start us off with your one word takeaway? Ambitious is the word that came to mind when I finished this recent viewing of Wally. And really, this was my second viewing. The first time I saw this was actually in the theaters 10 years ago, which is kind of crazy to think because I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed it the first time around. And I'm kind of sad that I don't own it. Um, it. It just breaks my heart a little bit. But I'm glad we get to talk about it, so maybe that'll mend my heart. Um, and one of the things that I think about with Pixar is the animated short that usually precedes each feature. I'm not, I'm trying to remember, I, I think it still happens, yes. I think that's part of their tradition, even after they were acquired by Disney. And it's always cool to see how the creative team puts together a short story with what may be potential future ideas for a mu movie, potentially, or maybe it's just a one-off here and there. And I also like the fact that the more recent ones have given us like different directors. I don't know if they work for Pixar or if Pixar just lets them come in and say, hey, here's your playground for five to seven minutes. Regardless, it's a, an incredible amount of creativity. But the thing is, is that 
what makes these things so interesting is that they very rarely rely on dialogue. Like there's a heaviness of reliance on emotion through facial expressions and sound for the most part, at least the ones that I'm remembering, like Jerry's game and all the ones that, that kind of come to mind for me. So to be able to effectively do this for 98 minutes as opposed to like three or four is pretty ambitious. And the Pixar team does does this like without really much fault that I can find. Like every Pixar movie that I've seen is kind of up on a scale of like great to wow. There's never been one that I've really experienced and I haven't seen all of them, but the ones, all the ones that I've experienced, I've never been disappointed in. And watching Wally this time around reminded me that this may be one of, if not my favorite Pixar movie. I don't know that's going to eclipse Toy Story. Maybe this conversation will change that for the better or the worse, but it's definitely up there. I love that you keep saying up and up. It's up there and such because it's, have you seen up by the way? I have, I have seen it. Yes. Okay, good. I was a little shocked there when you said that you hadn't seen all of them. I'm hoping that that simply means you haven't seen the good dinosaur and we can just, that's one of them. Call it good. Or cars (laughs) three, like some of these I'm fine with you having, I haven't seen anything past cars. I didn't see cars two. My son has seen cars three several times. And so, yeah, most sequels besides toy story, I haven't seen like finding Dory. I think we did finding. Well, I think we talked about that. That's not, it is a sequel, but it's not. It's kind of its own <laughs> little thing. It's a, it's a spinoff. <laughs> Had a whole episode to go over that. So go find it, listeners. Well, that's good, man. I, I completely agree with you about that. And you're right. I mean, it's so much easier to do that concept in three minutes than it is over 98 minutes. And it, it's taking a huge risk uh, to trust that your audience that you've and they've built up clout at this point by the time Wally comes out, right? They've they've been running off a good string of films and so they have expectations behind them. And this was definitely ambitious. I think for my one word takeaway, it's yours was what they were trying to do, or kind of that feeling around it. Mine was what I feel like they succeeded in, and that is that I think Wally is incredibly accessible. If I had gone into this Patrick, knowing that the first 30 minutes of it was going to be essentially a silent film, I would have stressed out and I would have worried about how that was going to be implemented. So it's kind of like trailer culture. If I would have known ahead of time, I would have had a lot more concerns, which would have impacted my experience with the movie seeing it for the first time. But to this day, it's still hard for me to psych myself up to see certain older silent films um, or convince others to see the ones that I've seen that I enjoy. It's just a non regular way to watch a movie that most people are not, not used to experiencing. And so what I think Pixar did here is really to the greatest effect that I've maybe ever seen um, in this first 30 minutes. And this isn't a story that needed a ton of narration or dialogue to build its world. And instead, it uses visuals and sound in ways that I think every adult and child watching could completely understand instantly. I read this in a Vice.com article, and it said precisely what I was thinking. So I'm just going to quote this instead of using my own paraphrasing. A language can come with barriers. Text can be unreadable. A choice of dialect can feel alienating. But a head tilt, a gaze, or expression of love through actions is universal. The stories we hold close aren't wrapped best in how we tell them. It's in the feelings and images that give them life. And that, my friend, is why you and I do what we do here on this show and what we love most about movies. And so I think it's pretty cool that it's also what makes Wally so very special. Ditto on all of that. Well, before we get into gushing about this movie, I wondered about something as I was watching it. And of course, um, in these rabbit parties that we have, in these movie nights uh, with all of these different personalities uh, chatting, and they're chatting via text, we're not talking over the movie, you get a lot of jokes. Comedies are great to watch in this manner um, because people are constantly cracking jokes and pointing out things about the film. Well, I noticed during this time around 
and maybe it's just the Me Too era, but Wally is kind of a creepy old man who stalks a young girl and takes her out on dates while she's unconscious. And Eve is a high-strung young woman who destroys everything around her and won't even explain what her job is. <laughs> and we call this a love story. <laughs> so... It's like Melrose Place, man. It's it like is. That. You know, it's interesting. When you when you kind of like peel the layers back about the characters and you look at them in, in these different ways. Now, I'm joking, obviously, because of where this story takes us. But it right. is it is funny. And there were moments in this film where Wally is kind of forcing her to hold his hand when she's unconscious. And I'm just like, wow, that I don't know if that would play well today. <laughs> you know, like it's sweet, but at the same time, yeah, what's going on? All right. Forgive them because they're robots. <laughs> we have to. We absolutely have to. Well, the story starts off and we get the amazing, amazing, amazing 30 minute kind of sequence montage. It's not really a montage, but it's story of this silent way um, with nothing but amazing sound design and musical score in the background. And it's set. We, we learn right away that it's set in the future, obviously. And that the world has become unlivable and humans have essentially left. So it's interstellar with robots uh, or interstellar 700 years in the future. Since it's set in the future, Wally ends up interacting with a ton of historic artifacts. And I wonder if you picked up on any of these or if you noticed some of them, um, things like the Rubik's cube. Yeah. Um, the way that he looked at light bulbs. Did any of these have any significance for you? The Rubik's Cube really stood out to me, and I think it's one of those things that um, it it points to the past without being specific because there were a lot of different things that weren't like from the 80s like we get with Ready Player One. They weren't deliberate references to a decade. I like the fact that we got a wide range of stuff, like even the Hello Dolly reference that became a significant part of the, the movie was back in 19 the 1960s so we have a number of different decades that are familiar to us as an audience but we're actually never really told specifically when they are in the future and so the the past is really just more of a a a blanket statement about the world before this as opposed to like hey back in the insert decade here which i think it's kind of nice because the movie isn't commenting on a specific decade, like when it all went to <laughs> poop. It's going, the world is degraded and the world has become this. And these are some of the highlights of where we were as human beings, culturally yeah. speaking. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know, I looked, I looked at it as, in a way, things that someone, this someone being Wally, who has no understanding of how these items were used, would find interesting. Or intriguing, and, and that you know transcends time. Doesn't really matter when these items came from. Like you said, one that stood out for me, and, and not because it has some like emotional significance, but one that just definitely resonated or stuck in my memory is the spork and the way in which he he picks it up and he kind of he moves it to the fork <laughs> and he moves it to the spoon and then he puts it in the middle. And of course, like everybody's thinking, yes, that's exactly like, where does it go? What is it? All I remember of sports, Patrick, is that I hate them 99% of the time. The 1% of the time that I was okay with a spork is Kentucky Fried Chicken. We yes, give out sporks the for their mashed potatoes. <laughs> that's the only time. Or the, yeah, or the, well, mashed potatoes and the coleslaw. Like that was the thing. It's like exactly. the spork made perfect sense for coleslaw because you would stab and scoop. That's what you would use it for, stabbing and scooping. And coleslaw is the only thing that you should be able to do with that because you can't just stab it. You have to scoop it. I love it. Yeah, that that one stuck out to me. Um, I also just really like the idea of kind of him essentially being a blue-collar worker who takes his lunchbox with him to work and you know fills it up for the day and then sticks it on his back and, and heads off out into the, the plant um, even without knowing it, right? Like he's not intentionally doing that. The gags with the bra and the fire extinguisher in the early sequence are hilarious. I mean, who as a child, you know, didn't find a bra and not know what it was and put it on their face thinking it might be some weird kind of set of glasses. I mean, that's a very normal yeah. reaction. Right. 
Um, I did want to ask, speaking of like historical significances, do you, con- did you have any issue with the fact that Wally looks like Johnny five from short circuit? Because for no. me, it was difficult at first. No, it actually enhanced it for me because that's the thing. It was a, it was a reminder to me of short circuit and the way in which Johnny five uses his eyebrows. That's what I call them. The robotic eyebrows to interact with things, to pick up stuff and to actually articulate expression because that's another ambitious movie as quirky as it was and comedic as it was you have an actual like machine a live action machine that you've got to give emotions and of course he had more words that he could articulate but i think his eyebrows in particular to me i i don't know if that was deliberate but it was a good thing for me because it made me think about that and going ah yeah yeah it makes sense that you're going to use that kind of face because the face is always going to be a place of expression and it had to be for Wally. And I think the same way it was for Johnny. Yeah, I think you're right. I do. Um, ultimately I'm able to kind of get used to it pretty quickly. And then Wally becomes Wally. Um, he, he has enough antics and about him and frankly enough expressiveness that he's different and he's not Johnny five. Um, but it is interesting that they chose to make him look very similar uh, you know, I guess at this point in history, we're just running out of unique ways to make robots look, you know, on some level, you can only do so much without making it overly complicated. And Wally is not meant to be complicated. Wally's meant to be very, very simplistic um, and very easy to comprehend. Like he's a head and he's a box and arms and he puts stuff in the box so you make squares right. and that's it. Well, and he's meant to be rudimentary, especially when you place him against Eve, who's sleek, futuristic, state of the art. It creates a nice visual contrast between the two, which enhances their character development and how opposite they are both in personality and in, in their look. So we have a lot of the, we have a lot of that kind of deliberate opposite and symmetry, you know, simplistic versus complex with between those two. Yeah, we do. That's that's very true. Modern, futuristic, etc. Um, do you think this sequence has? Well, let me not me put it this way. Obviously, it has some significance, or it wouldn't be a through line in the entire film. And that is the musical "Hello Dolly." It's a 1969 film. Um, do you? How did you relate to "Hello Dolly" in this? movie as far as its impact on Wally learning about emotions and love. I mean, and I get, and I'd also ask, have you seen hello Dolly? So let me answer those questions backwards. No, I have not. I want to, to answer the first question because I didn't feel the significance of it other than the fact that musicals, as we talked about on our greatest showman episode tend to enhance what would otherwise be normal emotions. They typically, are when you watch a, a musical like Oklahoma or Guys and Dolls, people don't just break out into song in life. And so musicals are more of an exaggeration of how we feel about certain things. Like if if I were to get excited about getting a promotion, breaking out in song would probably get me fired or demoted or put somewhere uh, for the crazy people. And I think for what I took away from from that was the fact that we are dealing with a movie that is trying to sell us on emotional connection to things that wouldn't otherwise be connectable, you know, having an emotional connection to a robot. And I think that for me, hello Dolly or any musical, I don't know if you could pick another one. Hello Dolly as a musical really sort of reinforces that because it helps us say, okay, I get it. He's connecting with something that's kind of unrealistic, just like we're connecting with something that's unrealistic, or at least what the creators wanted us to do. That's good stuff, man. I, I kind of struggle with this. I've thought about it a lot and I, here's where I've landed. There's two main songs from Hello Dolly that go through this. Let me back up. I haven't seen this either, by the way, I have not seen it. I really want to now. Um, so maybe they got, maybe they paid Disney to put it in there to make us all want to watch Hello Dolly, but I really do want to see this film now. There's the two main songs. The first is put on your Sunday clothes. And I think the answer lies largely in the lyrics to these songs as to why 
this musical was chosen and why it works so well. This is the bouncy song, fun song that we see Wally watching and learning how to dance. And it's all about coming home and becoming someone who feels brand new and becoming someone who is happy and light and cheerful. And the ending line of the put on your Sunday clothes song is that we won't come home or I'm and this I'm positive of that. We won't come home. No, we won't come home until we fall in love. So ultimately it's about falling in love. And while he is watching this and seeing these characters happily dancing and singing and ultimately then falling in love. Right. And the other song is it only takes a moment. And this is the one towards the end of the film that gets used more. And it's very similar. You know, it's, it's all about love. Like, instantaneously it takes a moment to take to fall in love is what the song is about um and it, it only takes a moment to be loved a whole life long and that's what wally and eve have found essentially um and so i think that the lyrics are very important um i think that the big band swing i guess it would be swing sound of hello dolly fits really well with the score that Thomas Newman has made for the film as well. And then I also think there is a significance here of it not being a well-known musical. So if we had watched Wally and Wally was learning about whatever from Mary Poppins or the sound of music, and we consistently were hearing the themes of of the sound of music over and over and over, I think that might be problematic because we have such a strong association as an audience to the sound of music already. Does that make sense? Where yeah. for Hello Dolly is at least, and I, I don't know. I would love to know from someone who has actually seen Hello Dolly before Wally, how you took this, you know, interaction. But for me, it was enhanced because I didn't know that. Yeah. Because you're focusing more on asking that question. What's the significance which you would do with My Fair Lady or Oklahoma or Guys and Dolls. Or the, and I'm not going to say they're more famous because Hello, Dolly! is a pretty famous musical. It's just one that's not as popular as those. It's not a Rodgers and Hammerstein, I don't think, although I could be wrong. But I think you're right. I think the fact that it is not as well known, that there's more emphasis on the specific songs because it wasn't like he was flipping through and seeing different scenes in this thing. I mean, there were two specifically focused ones. It does make me question, though, he wouldn't pick up on the language of it. I think he's picking up on the visuals, just like we're picking up on the visuals of Wally. And I think there's a there's a coexisting of translating, like we're translating what he's feeling as a robot, just like he's translating what he's seeing on the screen. And I think what he's defining as love, defining as companionship, is only reinforced in those two scenes i think that's what he knows love being because there are a lot of moments where he emulates that he emulates what's happening in those scenes and in different ways now how he defines love or being in love i think would obviously be something that we'll never know because he's sentient but he's a robot and obviously there's not a one-for-one comparison from that to a human idea of love but i think at the very least he's picking up on certain things just like we're picking up on certain things from him exactly you're that's a great way to put it you know he's he's getting a different thing out of hello dolly than we are because it's it's almost meta in a sense because we hear the lyrics so we can put a lyrical two and two together but you're right he's not getting it from that he's getting it from the visuals and the sound just like we're getting his emotions from the visual and the sound so that's really really good observation so the whole movie serves kind of to humanize the robots in a brilliant way, frankly. I mean, there's that meme, that joke about you know, Pixar gave feelings to toys, Pixar gave feelings to robots, Pixar gave feelings to emotions, you know, emotions have emotions or whatever. But man, are they good at it. Um, you know, I felt very attached to the robots, all of them, and their various personalities. And then at the same time, it's sort of, you use this word, mechanizes the humans. And I liked that a lot. Mechanizes and infantizes the humans. Kind of brings them backwards in time, in a sense. 
Um, what do you think that has to say about the main story here of, of the interaction of robots and humans throughout this 700 year period? Yeah, I think what we've had is an evolution and we're being shown that there is now, I mean, at the very least humans dependent on machines and machines independent of humans. I mean, Wally for the first half of the movie, first 30 minutes, he's his own guy. I mean, he is, he has a directive, he has a role to play, but he is, obviously he has continued to repair himself. He has a big O shop full of spare parts to repair himself. And so I think what, what this movie is trying to say as an obvious statement is that maybe a possible overabundance or overdependence on machines has caused us to become weak and useless in that we can't think for ourselves. We have no independence. We are focused solely on the ease of things being given to us that we can't do them for ourselves. And the opposite of that being you have the simple robot who really doesn't have any purpose outside of just gathering up trash and making it really fun cubes to clean up the, uh, the earth. He is very simplistic. He knows who he is and he continues to do what he knows he is capable of and nothing more. I mean, he's always discovering things, but he unintentionally maybe is independent because there's no other robots around for him to leech off of or to cooperate with. So I think to me, I think Wally represents the pioneers of who we were as human beings, particularly on the American history side of things. When we picked up and came over here to the, to America and colonized and pioneered and discovered I think he represents the early days of who we are as human beings. Interesting. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I I love the duality of the new robots and the old robots. Wally being a free thinker and independent, like you said, and Eve being very much directive, directive, which every time she said, I couldn't help but think this was like a Star Trek episode and we were talking about the Prime Directive. She's all very much business, right? And then, I mean, that leads us into one of the other kind of side characters that we get who's mostly there for laughs, but, and that's Mo. Uh, Mo is the one in charge or kind of a head honcho in the cleanup department, I guess you would say. And this guy, I love this guy, man. He's my spirit robot. That's all there is to it. He's got OCD about cleanliness that I can totally relate to. Like, more power, Mo power to you. Um, there's... And, and the thing is that the film makes a big deal about showing us that, showing us how rigid he is. And we get a real emotional scene when he tries to step off of a line. He's, he has to step out of bounds now and he's conflicted. Do I follow my path that I've been set on and stay on this line like I'm supposed to, or do I go over there where the dirt is? Like, that's my job, but I'm supposed to do my job on this line. Now it's a conflict and he has to make a choice and he sort of, from that point on in the film, becomes a lot more like Wally, right? Where he's independent, he's free thinking, and his opinions are changing over the course of his experiences. Um, because he's experiencing so much more once he gets off that daggum line. And humans have gone the opposite direction, like you said, where they've gone from independent as a race, as an as a entirety, to much more on the line. Nobody gets out of their chair. Nobody does anything different. There's no independent free thought. It's just the blue is the new red. Okay, click. We're all blue now. Yay. You know, there's a phenomenal, man, there's so many good stuff. There's so many, many great one-liners in this film that convey a ton without having over exposition because the dialogue is so sparse in the whole movie where the one lady who finally kind of has her visor moved and she's like, Oh, I didn't know we had a pool. They've been up there 700 years. Like you didn't know yet. How do they have babies, Patrick? I, side tangent real quick. How do they have babies? If they have not, this came up in the, the group chat. So I don't remember who to credit. I was making notes. So I'm sorry. I'm not crediting you correctly. Whoever brilliantly asked this question, but if they're in these chairs and they're not focused on anybody else, cause they literally don't know each other exists. It, it feels like, how they have babies? I would say it's a lot like how they eat. Babies come 
in a cup. Everything's in a cup. That's really, really creepy. <laughs> well, so is the idea of anything else, I guess, if they don't know uh, each other. <laughs> just, I mean, I, I, I think, I don't know. We just don't want to, we don't need to know. We'll just skip over that. But, yeah. um, <laughs> tires screeching. <laughs> Chad, uh, Chad was in our chat and Chad hosts a couple podcasts, the Cinesope podcast. Uh, we've been on his show before. I've had him on our show and he also hosts uh, the American workplace. I think it's called, which is an office, the office TV show. It's a recap show where they cover all their episodes. So little plug, but Chad had a great observation. He said, it just occurred to me that Wally is very much like Forrest Gump. He's not necessarily part of the larger story and theme of this film. He's just following a girl and robot he's in love with. He's doing so, or in doing so, he gets mixed up in the more important things. Um, then somebody, of course, threw in a great joke, said he's not a smart robot, but he knows what love is. And that's very true. Um, I would add, you know, his purity, I think, allows him to play this critical role in how history plays out. Because you said it, he's simple. He's nothing special. But yet his effect on the world around him ends up being special, uh, even though no attention is necessarily being drawn to him. Uh, and I think, you know, that definitely speaks to the humanity in him. I mean, we, we relate to him more than we do the humans at this point Absolutely. in history. Uh, so carrying on with that, you know, it, it kind of presents us with an interesting portrayal of the culture in the future. And we talked about that here a little bit. What do you think caused them to get to this point in time where they're stuck in these chairs, they're doing nothing but screen time and everybody wants to be the same? Like what had to go wrong to bring up these negative aspects of human culture as the consistent ones? And did you see anything positive at all on the Axiom from the humans? Well, the Axiom itself is kind of cool. I mean, it is a cruise ship after all, so... I mean, if anybody's been on a cruise, you know that there's nothing like it. How cool is it that Thomas Newman scored both this and Passengers, and the two ships are so freaking similar, in my yep. opinion? Okay, absolutely. Just had to throw that in there. Absolutely. I, I, I thought the exact same thing. But I think the big idea that, that comes from this is, is this idea of consumerism and or consumption, you know, whatever the root word you want to use. And that's kind of what I thought about this viewing was – all this trash came from people that, well, it came from one company, ultimately a, a big conglomerate. So there's a lot to say about monopolies and, and, and things of that nature. But I think for the most part, we look at this world and how consumerism ruined Earth or had the potential to ruin Earth. But the problem wasn't solved when people left it just became exacerbated in space as opposed to on a planet and while i think that the intention was good that it was temporary i think that consumerism as a whole was needed to be fixed as opposed to where it was being done because what we have now are essentially obese people that can't walk around that live in chairs and eat and drink everything from a cup and they're just connected digitally. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could talk about in this and we won't get into everything, but I think for the most part, there's a sense of just this overabundance of consumerism and oversharing and feeling like you're interconnected with people because there, there were conversations with people going on, but not with each other, not next to each other. I mean, they were just robotic in the way that they lived life. It was very much methodical. There was no, independence which is again what we talked about being a great contrast with the robots the robots we thought should be the ones that would conform to a certain way and yet the humans are the ones that are conforming because of what they become slaves to so i think consumerism is the big thing that probably destroyed earth but it is it is amplified on the axiom i think so consumerism leading to a failure in environmentalism sure. essentially which sure. is yeah which is timely i mean it, let's be real these were and are issues that the world is considerably dealing with right now um in real life we're not at this point yet but this is what makes sci-fi wonderful for you and i 
uh, and for a lot of folks, which is it's believable, right? It's it's cons- it's understandable to the point where it's like, you know, I could see us getting here. I, I could see us being so focused on our screen time and our lives are moving so fast and they're so tech driven that we forget about the plants that are there on the side of the freeway until we continue making more and more freeway. And then we look up one day and there's no plants left because it's all freeway, you know, and we realize that we've lost sight of the living things for the comforts and the automations. (laughs) I love that the bad guy, not only is he designed to be kind of a mixture, I think of how and uh, almost like GLaDOS from Portal. It came out a year after that, and I totally feel like he's GLaDOS as well. But um, I love that his name is Otto. Otto, right? He's Otto. He's the autopilot. But he's also an, an automation that has caused us to become so lost. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I love it. I think that you're right. The consumerism, the wanting, you know, that that's all played out brilliantly by that one sequence where they're like oh blue is the new red and everybody immediately has to be blue and while he's like no here you should be red you know let me get your attention and it snaps that one person out of it and it's not that that's the thing it's not that the humans are portrayed as evil and i love this it's more that they're lost they've Mm -hmm. lost their way yeah we are not we are not a race of terrible beings who want to destroy our world these things are happening because we're letting ourselves become preoccupied with things that are less important in a way. If that, yeah, makes, does that makes sense. It does because what I gathered from the movie was the fact that this was supposed to be temporal. The axiom was meant to be kind of a vacation spot while the earth was cleaned up. And that was the initial plan, but it got so far gone that by the time life was found on earth it was apparently too late it wasn't it wasn't like cyberdyne and the robots are taking over i think it was the fact that there was futility that from a robotic standpoint futility was kind of the the name of the game at that point and so we as human beings these guys are just like going along with it and it took a human being to kind of realize hey wait, the worst is still not bad because we get to go home, that kind of thing. So I think that I like the fact that the humans aren't portrayed as the enemy per se. They're just products of, I think, a a fallen world, literally in this case, and maybe a, a fallen just humanity. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that that consumerism environmentalism angle is the kind of central theme of the movie or is something else stick out to you well yes and no i think it is although i wanted this movie to be live action and a little bit longer this is the thing that i pulled away from it the first time i saw it i thought how cool would this have been to be in like a more cerebral sci-fi with real people exploring this larger story um, we, we posted last week the poll question about movies that have kind of a tonal shift. And I felt like Wally kind of did this a little bit because the first half of the movie was exploration. And then we get onto the axiom and it becomes really more of an action adventure story. They, they worked well together. It wasn't jarring or anything like that. But I felt like the ideas that were being articulated were incomplete. That... I picked up on consumerism. I picked up on environmentalism, but I wanted more tension. I wanted to linger more in some of that. And maybe that was by design. Like I wanted to know more about the history of the earth and more about the axiom. But again, we're talking about a 92 minute animated feature. And I get that you can't put all that in there, which is why I wished that maybe a version of this existed in live action with a different kind of angle in terms of its storytelling. But yeah, I think those are the two big ones that I picked up on. Interesting that you say that because I would disagree vehemently um, with that. For me, I definitely would not want it to be live action. And I think that's because I've seen things that are live action that at least are somewhat similar. Um, And I love the focus on the robot relationship. I think that this story is largely about love. Um, 
that's probably the central theme, honestly. And I think that it carries through these things of consumerism, environmentalism, and issues of the humanity and lost humanity and the culture. All to say that not only does Wally and fall in love with Eve, and by the way, leave his best friend for his girl, just so you know, he leaves him on Earth as cockroach and takes off with the girl. That isn't that just typical? But um, their love story permeates this, but it's rekindling a love of life and love of Earth that is what brings the humans back. And there was some awesome conversation that came out of the group, man, the movie night. And a couple of people just had such insightful things to say. MJ had said he loves how these people aren't the cause of Earth's problems but they're dealing with the fallout of the poor decisions of generations past and how that is a very heavy theme. And it really is when you think about it, because 700 years, that's what we're told. This, this is sins of your fathers. Essentially, you know, you're not, these people are not responsible. Like we said, they're not evil. They're not angry. They're not mean. Um, in fact, they pretty quickly, the captain even pretty quickly wants to explore this idea and learn more and, go back but they have to fight against what history has done to them it's almost like fighting racism in a sense you know we're we may not feel like we're racist now but that doesn't take away from the fact that maybe 150 years ago 100 years ago my ancestors were and it led us to this place that's a great point yeah that's a really and so point. and so it's a really awesome underlying theme that he picked up on i thought it was really cool um and you know we we just talked in the group about how it's it's got a very melancholy to the whole piece. You got I, Wally's isolation, um, and then the longing for connection that he has, and then you have the awakening of the Axioms inhabitants to realizing where they are and that life is not just simple and flying around these chairs. Um, and, and then the captain for me is where that love theme, I think he represents humanity as best we can get down to a one cipher. A couple things where he has that great moment with the plant. He says, you just need someone to look after you. That's all. We have to go back. He realizes like, he's like, you just have to go take care of the plant. Like it can't just thrive on its own. It needs us to provide it with something. We need to make sure that it doesn't, get overwhelmed with trash or whatever the case may be. And even when he is confronted with this dire barren wasteland, it's amazing because he takes responsibility and action to go back. And it's all summed up in that line, man. It was almost my, it's almost my connecting point. If, if I was going to make my connecting point, like one sentence, the sentence, the boom goes the dynamite. One piece of dialogue is this entire film is when the captain says, I don't want to survive. I want to live. And you realize like, okay, that's the passion you've got to have to fix this problem, right? You can't just want to casually, like you've got to be that determined to start to reverse this problem that's come to exist in all this time. So I mean, it's, it's super heavy and I think it's got a lot going on, but love definitely finds a way. And I think kind of is the central overall theme of this. It's a love story. Well, I think it's, I would say it's a love story, but it's more about a sense of companionship and a sense of togetherness, less about two people falling in love. Because again, Wally and Eve don't know what that is. And humans, at least at this stage, may not know that. I mean, we're talking about 700 years removed from where this whole thing started. So this generation of adults and their children, this is all they know. But that discovery when they exit the chairs and when they start looking around and they say things like, oh, I didn't know we had a pool, that desire to go back, they're not tainted by, they become the new pioneers, essentially. They're not tainted by the fact that, oh, this was ruined and this is why we're out here. They're like, whoa, there is a future back home. There is a future in discovering how to do things on our own. And there's an excitement there. There's not a sense of, oh man, we've got to go back to earth, that dirty 
planet that we left 700 years ago. In a lot of ways, it reminded me a lot of the Israelites when God essentially left them wandering in the desert and multiple generations that were meant to go to the promised land were basically said, nope, you're not. You're going to die out. And this new generation that all they knew was wandering, all they knew was desert, they then saw the promised land as an opportunity, not something to be scared of. Whereas the original Israelites, there were times when they were like, we'd rather go back because we were slaves, but we knew what we were. Here, we don't even know what's going on. And I love the fact that we get some of that in here where we have this new generation, this untainted, even though it's can connect with the sins of the father, maybe the cause of why they're there is related to that. But the fact is their expression and the choices they make are their own. And they're not made from a reaction of where their past was. They're made of a response to what their future can hold. And I love the optimism of wanting to go back to earth and wanting to work together to learn how to plant and make pizza plants, <laughs> you know, things like that. Man, that's good stuff. I I don't know. I don't know to say that. <laughs> that's like a mic drop. I'm just gonna sit here and process that amazing observation from you. Um, I, shoot, I don't know. What else have you got to say about this other than, uh, you know, I love the ending scene where we think Wally is dead, I, and I say I love. Let me translate that into I am a child in tears on my couch uh, when I think Wally is dead. It's really a testament to how much of a connection we've been able to build with the characters that not only would we be sad to see Wally go, but I know I personally, I felt an extreme pain for Eve in her loss of Wally as much as I did of my own sadness to see what I thought would be maybe Wally not coming back. Yeah. I would say for me, the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this is the fact that as much as I would still like to see a live action version of the story, or at least of those things being played out, I like the fact that this was animated and it was simplified because of the emphasis or the reliance on Thomas Newman score. And by the way, let me just say this. Every time I hear a Thomas Newman score, it's going to always make me think about you because this is, I know this is the guy that you go to. So props to that, uh, for Thomas Newman for having that effect on you. Cause it's really, he's just masterful. Dude, at what it he is does. so good. This score is, it's phenomenal. Like yeah. it really is. I wanted to put it on immediately after the movie because it's just, it captures what's brilliant about it is a lot of composers can do one thing really well one theme throughout a movie right mm -hmm. and not that they can't but many films only ask you to really focus on that one theme like i mean something like gladiator right like it's a pretty epic score throughout mm -hmm. it doesn't have a huge sway of different types of music but this has such subtle love romance emotional themes in its score but it also has to hit those notes of exploration and you know, going into space and Wally literally touching the stars and then a phenomenal, phenomenal usage of the 2001 music in a montage where, I mean, it was a brilliant scene. Uh, it, it, the captain is standing there and he's fighting with technology and it is just a great callback to the monolith and mm -hmm. what's happening with technology right. at that point in the story. I, I just think it's it's amazing. Yeah, and you combine that with the sound design and particularly the, the minimal amounts of dialogue and really the emphasis on certain words or the way in which words are taken. I specifically honed in on Alyssa Knight who voiced the character of Eve. The way in which she said Wally's name, like I think she only said two words in the whole movie, directive and Wally. Can't be sure, probably wrong, but those are the two words that I remember her saying. But the way she says Wally in certain places, like when she's mad at him, the way she says it, you could tell that she's mad or the way that she's like, Wally, you know, like, why are you being silly? Or Wally, you know, one word articulates so much. And the fact that she's not even an actress, she's actually a Pixar employee, at least she was at the time, says so much, again, about the dependence on minimal amounts of dialogue. Not that she wasn't 
worthy. But being able to do so much with so little, I think in a lot of ways it juices up that creativity because it says, okay, here's the arena we can play in. Can't go any further than this. What can we do to get that Pixar punch that we've gotten so used to uh, since we've since we've come around? And I think it's fantastic. I think the fact that there's so little dialogue and the way in which the dialogue is used so effectively really makes this movie stand out for me. Yeah, I agree. You know who else only talks in their name and does it using different inflections to uh, give us emotions? I don't know. Pokemon. Okay. Maybe it's because I've just watched 12 episodes in the last 24 hours or so of a Pokemon TV show and become completely obsessed with it. But I've realized that that's what they do, Patrick. Uh, they they talk just like that. So they say their name over and over and over. Froakie! 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 Or some kind of like partially say their name sometimes it's 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 a blast anyway uh ben burt this name came up during the movie night and so i've got a name drop him because people were praising him i don't know a lot about him didn't have a ton of time to research but he plays or does the voice of wally and he is the sound designer Hmm. that put this entire film together and i think that's to your point just now is a big part of why i love it as an animated film because the sound design from top to bottom in this picture, not just the robots, but across the board, it is perfection. The one or two moments where we get no score is, is is expertly placed. Um, every knock of something or or beep or bloop or, uh, you know, action, things like that. Those are not things you're going to pick up on in a live action film nearly as well. And your human voices can't make some of these noises in ways that convey the emotion that you can with sound design. Mm-hmm. So I think he did an incredible job. And uh, I would just say Google him, listeners, Google Ben Burt, look up some interviews because I did briefly scroll over some things and he's got, he's had an amazing career and he's very, very highly respected in his field. And it definitely shows in this film. Well, one thing I wanted to mention before we, wrap up uh move to connecting points is the in credit scenes for this one really stuck out to me i don't know if you watched it usually i turn them off you know to be honest but because i was sitting there having a chat with my friends and my listeners um i kept watching and i realized how much fun it was it, it starts off with this like hieroglyphic kind of art style and what it does is it progresses kind of telling the story of the humans and how they fix the earth and learn these distant, different artistic styles um, over the course of time. And it just really communicates a revitalization and uh, a continuing kind of inspiration uh, for history moving forward. And then once that's all done, it you know drops into a fun little video game type pixelated version of the characters and of course I, I just couldn't help but enjoy it because Mo is trying to clean up the credits constantly. <laughs> I, I just I thought it was great. The music was great. Um and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think the other thing about the end credits was the the Peter Gabriel song Down to Earth. I was reading in the trivia that it's meant to reflect how the earth in the film changes. Beginning of the song the music's very electronic sounding and only Gabriel is the one singing. But as the song progresses, the music becomes more natural sounding with additional voices and almost like this acoustic instrument type tone. And um, it kind of reflects how Earth was at the beginning of the film where it has no life. And then it slowly progresses and eventually it becomes more natural by the end credits because it's amazing. Yeah. So it's very purposeful. And I think that it's a testament to everybody that works on it, including Gabriel. Shoot, that would have been a one-word takeaway. Purposeful. Purposeful. I think Pixar's Pixar's the best at that, man. The attention to detail um, is so great. Another trivia note was also that I learned that the soundtrack for the CD, uh, the sleeve that the CD comes in, and also the DVD case were both made of recycled cardboard rather than plastic. Like, that's going all in on your theme. You know, that's uh, that's pretty great stuff right there, so... 
I thought that was really cool of Disney and Pixar to do that. Even to the marketing. Yeah, even to the marketing. Well, why don't we roll into our connecting points? Uh, do you have a preference on who goes first here? Does not matter, sir. Cool. Well, I'm going to take it away then. Okay. My favorite scene is called Fire Extinguisher Space Dance. Romance. Fire Extinguisher Space Dance. Romance. Okay. okay. Is that is that in Fortnite? Is that one of the dances uh, in Fortnite? You know, it probably could be, to be honest. <laughs> no, for real. I, I remember texting you and asking you if it was allowed or if I was eligible for me to choose the first 30 minutes of a film as my connecting point. And you did not respond to me, which meant I probably could have gotten away with it. But I think it's a little unfair. I think we've talked about it enough. But I truly do think that the first 30 minutes of this film where we're introduced to Wally up to, up to the point where he is chasing Eva up to the Axiom is one of the best pieces of movie history. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I can't really undersell it to be honest because it's that good. It is masterful stuff. But if we're going to narrow this down to one scene that I think is really a perfect example of what pix- makes Pixar's best work so powerful because it's an expertly done blend of emotion and fun. It's also a scene that in the movie night um, chat room, our group all collectively agreed was their favorite. And so I'm not alone in resonating deeply with this moment. And it, so that to me, that shows its appeal just to a wide variety of viewer from kids, my kids age uh, all the way up to, you know, almost 40 year old old men like myself. And for me personally, the reason that I love this moment with him and the fire extinguisher in space is because we've seen him be obsessed with dancing early on. And of course with Eva. And in particular, he tries to do it with her and he fails. He's unable to convey those emotions correctly and get her to understand. But here he is able to fly with her for the first time essentially, which is meeting her where she is. He's coming to her level and something that is unique to her design. And I think that it's ends up being like a perfect date, the way that they fly around the screen. And when you add in that this is mixed in with the captain who has been curiously and furiously learning about the things of his ancestors, talking to uh, the encyclopedia computer, essentially, asking Google. He whispers to the computer at this point, define dancing, one of the best lines in the film. And the axiom says, dancing, a series of movements involving two partners, where speed and rhythm match harmoniously with music. It is beautiful to me in all of the best ways, and it's oh so memorable. Um, it's a moment that I immediately equate to Wally, nothing else in movie history, and it's just also hilariously sweet. So I think it is absolute perfection. And on a side note, I will add that it also gives us a beautiful demonstration of Newton's three laws of motion. And I am going to read this because I'm not a scientist, but not kidding. It's got an added element of being scientifically correct that I think elevates this somewhat for me. You know, the physics is pretty much dead on. When Wally sets off the extinguisher, he accelerates, which is the second law of motion, in the opposite direction to the exhaust, which is the third law. And as soon as he shuts it down, he continues to move at a constant velocity, which is the first law. And so if you can, if you watch this scene, you can clearly see his speed changing while the extinguisher is blasting and his constant velocity motion when it isn't him just drifting. It's really nice. It's a surprising detail. And I think when you throw that realistic approach to the science in with all of the emotion of the scene, man, it's just absolutely the best. Neil deGrasse Tyson, everyone here on feeling film, ready to tell you about the way that physics and astronomy and, uh, 
all that plays into film. So I do what I can. I do what nerd. I can. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what about you, ma'am? What did you come up with for your connecting point? Well, you almost ruined it early on when you basically summed up the movie in that really creepy old man who stalks a young girl and takes her out on dates while she's unconscious. Because yes, oh, no. that is true. That is very true. But to me, it absolutely pinpoints this this idea of companionship. And when I look at that and I see how dedicated he is, even after she goes dormant, when she finds that, first of all, because I'm an idiot and I don't know what she's doing up until that point. It's again, been, been 10 years since I've seen this movie. And so I'm like, what is she trying? I guess she's looking for something of value. What is it? It's not. And then the, you know, I get the, I, I picked up on it just right then when, when she goes like completely dormant, but that whole montage of him taking her with him when he goes to work and attempting to try to hold her hand, he's trying to maintain this sincere connection, even though there's been no response. I'm going through a a marriage class with several other couples. My wife obviously is involved in that. And we talk about the fact that there's oneness in our marriages. There's oneness when... Even if you're not connected at all times, you're still connected because of that oneness that you have. And I, I felt that this week when I was watching this, I was like, you know, this is like a marriage that this is a typical Tuesday for a couple. I mean, it's not every day that feels like bliss. It's not every day that feels like, oh yeah, we just got married and we're loving it. I mean, some days I'm like that with my spouse and some days she's like that with me where she's essentially just dragging me along, not because... She has to, but because she wants her companion with her. And there are days when I'm like that, when there are things that I'm excited about that she's not, things that she's not into. And I'm like, look, I would really just appreciate it if you were with me on this. And that's really why I connected with this this montage of moments, because Wally didn't want to lose that connection with Eve, not only because there was still so much to discover about her, but because of the fact that he had already discovered so much and already connected with her on that. And that's what makes the payoff at the end of the movie so great when they're able to hold hands because it's what he's wanted to do so long. It's it's the kiss for him. He can't kiss the girl. He holds her hand, which is so innocent and sincere. And look, if any of you guys have had a high school first date, you know that when you're hanging out in the movie theater and you kind of reach over with your hand and you're touching pinkies and then eventually you're, there's something pretty magical about that. And that was something that I was reminded of is those first moments as a, as a young teenager dating and saying, that's a, that's a magic moment for me is the moment that I get to hold the girl's hand for the first time. And, uh, and I think it's really articulated very sweetly in, in that montage and, and ultimately throughout the movie. That's great. That's great. That's much better than my creepy old man analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I'm so glad that we threw this on the schedule uh, and got to revisit it. Just, I mean, it's been an awesome conversation for one, but even just getting to rewatch it, um, finally kind of having a reason to do so. <laughs> I, it's causing me many, many problems because I just kind of re-ranked some movies and figured I, I had it figured out, Patrick. I knew where I stood on Pixar. Now I don't anymore. It's all back to just one big blur. And they're too good. They cause me too much grief trying to put their movies in order. Um, but uh, that's how good Wally is. And uh, yeah, and I had a great time getting to watch it with our listeners. That was a ton of fun. So I do encourage everybody to come check out the Facebook group and uh, be a part of it. Be a part of the conversations that happen there all week long and help choose the next movie night and come, you know, be, be a participant in that and share your own thoughts with us. If you'd like to contact me, you can do so online at feeling film on Twitter or in said Facebook group. Those are the best ways. Patrick, what about you? Where can they find you and what do we got coming up? I'm at Shoeless Patch at uh, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H on Facebook and Twitter. Finding me there, hanging out in the Facebook group as well here and there. At me for any good conversations you want to start or include me in. I'd love to be a part of those. And while this is the end of Sci-Fi September, Sad Face, it's not the end of good sci-fi conversation. We still have our donor pick coming up where we're going to be covering AI with author Mark O'Connell that will be releasing the first week of October. And we're going to have hopefully a great conversation with him about not only that, but about his new book coming out. 
Uh, coming up next week, we are shifting gears and moving into a little indie world covering what I consider one of my top films, if not at this point, my number one film of the year, Hearts Beat Loud. I'm really, really excited to talk about it finally. It's my seeing street for 2018 so far. Well, I am really glad to hear that, and I I can't wait to talk about it. It's a, it's a lovely film, and hopefully just us covering it will encourage more people to seek it out, rent it this week, watch it so that they can listen to our conversation, and if so, that will make my heart beat loud. <laughs> Fantastic. That's just the first of the amazing puns that are coming your way next week on Feelin' Film. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to that. All right, man. Well, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it as always. Listeners, thank you for hanging out with us. Until next week, stay positive. And keep feeling film.